Everything you need is already inside of you. The world would not be what it is without you. When we begin to create change within us, we begin to create change in the world around us. Your journey to becoming your best self as the whole person starts right now. Welcome to the Rise Up For You podcast. I'm Georgia Close, your host. Thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is here to serve you and stand alongside you in your journey to becoming your best self. Through speaking with industry experts, authors, and amazing individuals throughout the world who have a message to share, we are bringing you empowerment, inspiration, and strategies that you can instantly implement. Our focus is on the whole person, and research shows that the happiest people in the world the most fulfilled countries in the world are the ones that make time to nurture uh, and build their relationships, their money, their self-worth, career, love life, and health. When we feel great within us as the whole person, then and only then can we create positive change around us. Okay, well today it is my pleasure to have Mark with us on the show, and um, it is a tr- through honor after looking through everything that he has done in his life. Um, I'm overwhelmed and so excited to bring him to our audience today. Um, and we always like to do this with our guest, Mark. So in your own words, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and all the many hats that you've uh, worn in this wonderful life of yours? Yeah, you know, I could I could tell the story of many hats, but I I could also tell the story of of one hat. Uh, but you know, uh, a, a big um, a big shift in my life happened when I was you know really young. I was uh, you know in my early twenties. I was a college undergraduate student in New Jersey, and I decided to take a, a one year leave of absence just to. I felt like I needed to do some exploring outside of the kind of conventional school system that I was involved in. And uh, I came out to the West Coast and I, I found myself, um, I, I wandered one day into the San Francisco Zen Center. Mm. And, and actually, I still remember that, that feeling of that, um, it felt like home. And, and there, there, there was even a kind of a, an, an intuition, a voice, something kind of subtle, but something that I heard that said, I think this place will be worth 10 years of my life. Ooh. And, I, I, and oddly enough, I, I ended up living at the Zen Center for, for the following 10, 10 years. Um, and, um, and it was just fantastic. I mean, I loved, I, loved um, I got to live in community of a lot of other you know, kind of um, searchers and Ivy League dropouts and all wow. you know, wide, wide variety of people in, in community. Um, I got to be introduced to a meditation practice as a daily, just part of daily life. Um, I was deeply, you know, got to take a deep dive into the study of a really interesting kind of uh, Buddhist tradition of, of Zen. And, and then one of the really big surprises was, was the entering the world of work in a, in a very, um, from the perspective of 
contemplative practice, from self-awareness, Zen mm. practice, whatever you want to call it. And that, uh, and that I kept getting asked to do, um, take on leadership roles. Um, from um, <laughs> I spent three years uh, being in charge of figuring out how to farm with horses. Uh, wow. uh, uh, but much of, my, much of my work life ended up being in a Zen monastery kitchen. A place, a place called uh, Tassahara Zen Mountain Center, where I was the, you know, I was a bread baker uh, for a year. I was the assistant to the head cook for a year, and I was the head cook for a, a, a year. And there was something, there was something I found incredibly magical about working in that kitchen, and just how how much fun it was, and how satisfying it was, right in the midst of pressure you know that this was a you know this is not so different than a than a, a traditional commercial kitchen we were we were producing especially in the summertime when uh, Tassahara turns into a a resort and a conference center and there are 70 or 80 overnight guests who are expecting really high quality nutritious good-looking uh, gourmet uh, vegetarian food and and there's just something that I, I loved about the sense of uh, focus and caring and even love and producing incredible results. And, and that, um, that ended up kind of setting, setting the course of my, of my life, of wanting to, to bring that sensibility into the, into the world. So that's, that's been my, I would say, you know, the through line of all the various things that I've done since then have been this uh, integration of uh, work practice with, you know, contemplative practice, self-awareness, mindfulness, whatever names you want to give it. Wow. Yeah, this, it's so interesting to hear you talk about your experience. How, how long ago was that when you uh, were living at this event? <laughs> See, now you're, asking, now you're getting very personal. You I know? know, it's just too good. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I left uh, Tassahara 35 years ago. Wow. And of course, I went, right, I went right from there to business school, got an MBA degree, and... Um, and since then, I've, I've started and run three different companies, uh, I- including um, a greeting card company that I started and ran and grew for 15 years, wow. a- and a, um, a mindfulness company that I started inside of Google, and where I was the CEO for a little over five, five years. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at here. I'm actually, I have your website up too in front of me and um, your clients are just, they're, they're big clients. They're very recognizable names, Google, Twitter, Facebook. I mean, Kaiser Permanente, Comcast, these are among many others. I mean, this, these are a lot of big clients and it's amazing to hear you say where you came from and where you gathered some of the principles that these companies, these world-renowned companies see as so valuable and how you gain them from within the kitchen, you know, <laughs> incredible. And many other places in those 10 years, I'm sure, but wow. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, the, you know, the, the, the um, people, 
people often ask like, what's, you know, you can like, well, what's the, what's the connection here? Well, the connection is wherever you go, whatever workplace you're in, whether you're at in a Zen monastery or Google or a hospital one, it's all human beings uh, and working together all to achieve the best results possible. So, so it's, again, it's the, it's the interesting tension of the, the people issues, you know, that we, that we are in these, um, you know, the, uh, the human bodies and minds and dealing with our own, uh, our own fears and our own greed and our hopes and aspirations and skills, um, our, the whole realm of emotional intelligence. And yet, um, there are clear, uh, objectives and 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 goals and so that how we how we manage to um you know and you can't sacrifice one for the other right you can't sacrifice the people in order to get the work done mm. and, and you can't sacrifice getting the work done to coddle the people mm. um, there needs to be some so to me this is where um these practices, uh, these various um, mindfulness practices are, are a great through line because they, they, uh, they address both. They address both the people and the getting stuff done effectively. I love that. Yes, there's, um, I'm sure we've all been a part of different organizations at different times and there's Oftentimes, or maybe too often, I should say, there's either that mindset of people are everything or, you know, people are, people are replaceable. And, and that's true. You know, we all are replaceable, but um, gosh, people are our biggest assets. And you're right. You really can't let go of either of those things to be successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I know you talked about this moment where, um, you know, you left college, take a break and, uh, then decided to spend 10 years at the monastery. But was, what was your, was there an aha moment within that experience that you were having while you were visiting that just made you go, you know what, I got to do this. I got to make this change. Um, was there a moment like that for you? Yeah. You know, the, um, so I talked a little bit about the, the, you know, running the Zen monastery kitchen moment was a love for work. But then it was um, a couple of years later, I was asked to be the director of uh, Tassajara Zen Mountain Center. And, and there it was very clearly a leadership role. I had a staff of about 60 people and, you know, I, I was responsible for budgets and, and had all of the, all of the um, problems and opportunities of any kind of small entrepreneurial business and and the big aha was i'm i'm a leader i and i'm running a business um i'm not only a a zen student i'm i'm also i'm also an entrepreneur and a business person and one is i really liked it two is it seemed to me obvious how well these self-awareness these mindfulness practices went uh, to, to, toward getting things done. And three, I, I started asking myself, why isn't everyone doing this? It makes so much sense. And that was the, 
th- those three things were like, this is going to set me on the course of what I want to, to do. And, and again, that looking back, it was like, boy, that was, um, that was rather audacious of me to think I was going to do that. And, and, um, and it's interesting how at the time there was nobody, you know, nobody knew the word, you know, the word mindfulness was, you know, happening in spiritual places. It wasn't, you know, couldn't, couldn't use that word in the, in a business context. That's, I think people may forget how, how new that is that, that um, even though now it's so pervasive, it, it wasn't until, uh, you know, the last 10 or 15 years that there's been an upsurge of, of real uh, interest in bringing mindfulness into the business world. Hmm. Gosh, I just want to stick you in every business I know that I want to succeed for a few, for a few years. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe, you know, we can talk about that. If you're a good marketer, I can hire you because that's the... <laughs> there we go. Oh, truly. I mean, what you're saying is so, so very valuable. And I'm pretty certain any leader today would, would agree with you. Um, so right off the bat here, can you share with us, I know you have a new book out. Um, one, can you tell us a little bit about it? And two, could you specifically share those seven practices from your new book? Sure. Yeah, so maybe just a little bit of background. I, I kind of alluded to um, that it was, oh, I guess it goes back to maybe 2006, 2007. I, um, I had left my the greeting card company that I mentioned and and I was doing a little bit of coaching and consulting. And one of my clients was Google. And it was right at that time where a Google engineer had this idea of creating a mindfulness program inside of Google. And I, he, he found out about me because of my unusual background. You know, he was looking, who, who can we find who has, um, you know, many, many years of mindfulness and meditation practice and also uh, is a business person, is, ha- has an MBA degree and has experience running, you know, running a company. So I got tapped r- right as that program was just an, an idea. And it was, um, again, quite, uh, quite exciting time to be developing that program. And there was a lot of interest and openness to this at Google at the time. And the program became incredibly successful and people were on waiting lists to get into this this mindfulness and emotional intelligence training and at some point we were looking at how to scale it inside of google and decided we would as an experiment see if we could train uh, a dozen engineers and a couple other people but mostly engineers who had a little bit of mindfulness and meditation experience but not much and the question was how do you what how do you train people to be mindfulness teachers who don't have this this long uh, background and um, and I brought I brought in uh, to Google one of my uh, really good friends um, who's a a well known uh, Zen teacher and poet and and asked him if he would speak um, on this topic of what do you need to what are the core values what are the core practices of that you need to uh, express and engage and embody in order to teach mindfulness. And he kind of, it turned out it was just kind of extemporaneous that my friend came up with these seven practices. And, and as soon as I heard them, I thought, these are, these are beautiful. And, 
And these go far beyond just becoming a mindfulness teacher. These, these seem like really important practices for how I wanted to create the culture in the organization I was running and also in a broader way in how I wanted to live my life. And the practices are uh, love the work, do the work, don't be an expert, connect to your pain, connect to the pain of others, depend on others, and keep making it simpler. Wow. And, and you know, in some way, they're, um, I, I, what I like about them is they're, they're actually quite poetic. I actually, I like mm. saying them. They're like poetry, you know, and you can, you know, love the work and do the work and, you know, connect to your pain and connect to your, the pain of others. And then ending, you know, there's something about we all, I think, want. So, so I think we all want, right? We want to be in love and passionate about our lives and we want to be aligned in everything we're doing. And, and this first practice is like, is loving the work of self-development, of mindfulness, of self-actualization, like loving the, it's like, like loving the work of being human, of developing yourself as human and then ending with, you know, keep making it simpler. Hmm. I think we all, especially these days, just have this huge need and craving for simplicity. Life can get so, yeah. so complex, you know, and there's, there's great, you know, you know, we're, there's great advantages and beauty to the complexity of our lives. But, but I think we also crave and need us that sense of simplicity, a container of simplicity, maybe that, that can hold on to some of the, the complexity. Hmm. I, I can't think of a better and a bigger challenge. And then that last one is to keep making it simple because it doesn't seem or feel like the way things are going naturally for it, for really anybody these days. Yeah. Well, well, how do you do that? Well, I think one way you do that, this is why, you know, I know more and more um, people want to have a meditation practice. And, yes. And partly... Uh, you know, again, there's many, many ways we could we could spend our whole time talking about what meditation practice is, but in some way, one one avenue to talk about it it's the practice of cultivating simplicity. Just uh, just being present for each breath, just mm-hmm. each breath. Here I am, each breath, being here noticing that you're alive, noticing, you know, not, not pushing away any thoughts or feelings, whether the, whatever's there, like just um, accepting, accepting, noticing, embracing, uh, and, but allowing, allowing everything in your life to come up. Um, all of the stories, all of the pains, hmm there might be trauma there and there might be great longing and joy and whatever it is like just saying saying yes saying yes and noticing everything as and cultivating that i think is um is a core skill and ability for a stellar leader right so so much of so much i think of running a business is is 
not being caught by our own patterns and habits and stories and being able to be truly present for the people that we're working with, for the changes in the environment, for what all of the all of the you know successes and failures to to really be present and see reality um, mm. as clearly as you possibly can. Wow. Speaking of leaders, um, you know, and, and you work a lot with leaders, uh, it seems, and you've written a lot for leaders. What are there common characteristics for those profound leaders that you've met and known and worked with that kind of rise to the surface? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, as you were asking that question, I was thinking of a, uh, of a recent um, meeting I had with a, uh, a coaching client, a very high-level uh, executive who, um, who was trying to understand his own stress and, you know, and, um, you know, I think so much of uh, a, a good, a really good leader has a healthy relationship with stress, mm. isn't trying to push it away, uh, but in a way has more of a bring it on attitude. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, this is, a, this is, you know, like being a leader is stressful, bring it on. And, and then, but then noticing um, so this particular leader, I, I, I asked him, what, um, what stresses you? And I, I really appreciated. So I think one of the qualities of a leader is to be really clear about what they find difficult. And this particular leader, when I asked him what stresses him, he said, um, I want the people around me to be happy. And that's hard. Uh, I want to be in control, and I'm not. And uh, I notice my own self-doubt and inner critic that I, I have, and I want to make sure that I'm not being too pushed around by my own self-doubts. Wow. So I think these, these are qualities. In a way, you could look at these qualities as, you know, the first one is a quality of uh, real caring, really caring about people, wanting, wanting to empower people, wanting other people to be inspired and, and happy. Uh, the second, I think, is um, a kind of realization that we're not in control, which means, you know, this is like connecting with your own pain and connecting with the pain of others and depending on others is this, this sort of not being in control. And, um, and recognizing our own self-doubt is, you know, it's part of the human condition. I think it's also um, shifting our relationship with ourselves and problems and accepting, ex being so accepting of ourselves that we can even accept our problems and difficulties. And this is a little bit like the, a little bit like that last practice of making it, things are simpler when we're not pushing away our problems, but we, when mm -hmm. we can uh, look at them openly, including our own the the problem of our own uh, self doubt. How how can we how can we work with this uh, most um, most effectively? Right. Well, I think 
I mean, all of us have either been affected positively or negatively by leaders in our lifetime. And the joy of having a mindful leader, as you call it, uh, someone who's healthy is just, it's such an incredible relationship and it makes work, you know, everything that you, you're talented to be, and it makes you the best version of you when you have a leader like that. Um, and then, you know, there's other kinds of leaders that are just, you know, not, not there yet, or maybe unhealthy in other ways. And so they're just not at their potential. Is there a leader that at some point in your life you were affected by that you just said, Oh my goodness, I want to be like that. You know, I had a, uh, I've had some great mentors in my life. Uh, I, I was the first person I thought of was, um, um, a man who's no longer alive. His name is Rudy, Rudy Hurwich. He was actually, um, the inventor of, um, I don't know if you've ever seen a Dymo labeler, you know, mm-hmm. these, these old fashioned label, they, they're kind of, this, this was a long time ago Gosh. You know, when you squeeze, squeeze these uh, machine and it spits out these labels. Yeah. He was, um, uh, he, he was an engineer who invented that. And, okay. and um, I, he was maybe one of the first people that I met who he just uh, seemed to embody integrity. And he also seemed so aligned and, and, and uh, comfortable in his own skin. And the fact that he was a CEO of a, of a company. Um, and actually when I met him, he, I think he had recently sold Dymo Labeler, and he was uh, starting a few other companies. One was um, a company trying to make a better battery. And, and uh, I would go and spend time with him quite a bit, especially back when I was starting uh, Brush Dance was my uh, greeting card company that I started many years ago. And, and I, I learned a lot from him about, um, he was one of the uh, most insightful people in solving problems. And I was often bringing problems to him and, and I was learning from him about how to approach problems and how to solve problems. And I, I often, when people come to me now or in my, in my own, you know, work life and I'm uh, looking at presented with gnarly, gnarly business problems or people problems I often think, oh, I, I got trained really well. Rudy trained me well. That mm-hmm. I feel like, um, you know, it's an ongoing, ongoing process of um, of developing an approach to problem solving. So that's who comes up for oh, me. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you, Rudy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, how about um, you know, not every, but not all of our audience is in a leadership position, you know, formally, but. How can we, for those of us who are not, who are, you know, looking up to our executive directors or CEOs or whoever is the director of our department or business or company, how can we, or are there ways that we can, you know, help our leaders? How, how can we support them without, you know, making anyone feel like, gosh, we're pushing too hard or stepping on toes? You know, I would, I would um, probably kind of reframe that a bit and say that we're all leaders, right? That, mm-hmm. that, you know, that there is, you know, when we hear the word leader, of course, we tend to think of position or, or role. Right. 
And that is those, and, and that is, and maybe some of us have been or will be, and there are particular challenges and opportunities that come with that role. But I, I'm used, I, to me, leadership is much more about influence. And there, every, everyone has influence. Every team member has influence. Even if you're a one-person business, you have tremendous influence with your customers, with your vendors. And then I think uh, even in our personal lives, uh, there's all, all of these, what, what I love about these particular uh, practices and competencies is they're all just as important in our, in there, a lot of it is about relationship and seeing more clearly um, emotional intelligence, taking responsibility. So, so I think, um, you know, to, to answer your question more directly, it's like, I think to notice, to be, to notice the particular issues, stresses, challenges that people in these, in these roles of leadership have. And the other part of the answer is to take responsibility for how you influence others, no matter what you're doing. Mm. Oh, I love that. Well, how this has actually probably been an issue I'm sure we've all faced at one time or another. Um, but when you have, you know, something, when you notice something about the person you're reporting to or, you know, you don't agree with some decision that's been made and, and you, it's not one of those things that you feel like you can just let go. Um, how do you, what's a good way to address our leader, the person who we're answering to anyhow, what is a good way to address an issue and productively really solve that together without, you know, judgment or that internal critic coming out? Mm -hmm. You know, one of my favorite books on this topic is a book called Difficult Conversations. Hmm. Okay. And they present, uh, I think, a really effective creative model for I think, as again, you know, there's many different ways I could probably answer that question, but the way I'm hearing it is how do you have a difficult conversation? Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, and again, and, and it's even, even more difficult when it's someone who you report to. Um, and one of the core teachings of this book is they present a model that, uh, that most difficult conversations are happening or could happen on three different levels that there's the level of the content, which is the, the what's the situation and what's being said. And usually that's where people put almost all their energy and attention. Mm -hmm. And, and usually that's the least important of, of the three levels. Uh, The second level is the feel, what are the feelings involved? And almost always underneath the content, there's, there's some feelings. Uh, And, and part of it's just important to tune into uh, how are you feeling in this situation and to the best of your knowledge, perception, what's, what's happening with how, how's the other person feeling? And then the third level is the level of identity, uh, which is really human. This is the deeper, the deeper story that's being told about, you know, um, uh, how you know am i am i competent uh, am i am i love am i worthy of love am i a good person 
these are these are some core identities that we humans have and they show up they show up i think in pretty much in every difficult conversation in every in every conflict un- underneath right is is some identity issue especially in the work world competency is such a such a big one right am mm-hmm. i because we all we all need to feel a basic sense of you know comp- competence mm. well. so just so just looking just being aware on just unpacking those three levels and looking at it you right. know from your perspective and from the other person's perspective you just you get so much more information as a way to even think about how can i skillfully have this conversation starting there will help a lot i love that yeah i don't think any of us really escape the workforce without some of the most brilliant moments in our career and then some of the most difficult ones and so like you said so much of being a mindful leader is relationships and relational. And so how do you even begin to, you know, properly in a healthy way address an issue without that mindset of this is really about a relationship before it's about anything else? Yeah. Yeah. And since, since it's about a relationship, it's, um, it's imperfect. It's not completely in our control. Um, there's going to be times where we mess up, where we fail, where we get hurt, where someone else gets hurt. Yeah. That, that's, that's part of, um, there's no avoiding, there's no avoiding that. And somehow uh, to create uh, the, one of the keys, which is easier said than done, is to create enough connection and enough trust where you can have healthy conflict and healthy disagreement and being able to talk openly and honestly with people we work with. Ah, so there's some work in the foreground there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> love that. For, for, for sure. Well, let's move into the power section here. I know you've mentioned a couple great books already, but uh, is there one of those or is there another one that's had a big impact on you that would be meaningful to our audience to take a look at? You know, a few books that I'm um, that I'm reading right now and kind of rereading. Um, one is I'm really liking uh, the book *Sapiens* uh, by Yuval mm. Noah Harari. Uh, it's been on the bestseller list for a while, so plenty of people uh, probably know about it. It's um, the subtitle is *A Brief History of Humankind or Mankind*. Ah. Forget, one of those, and and it's. Um, it's kind of a wide-ranging uh, survey of human human development, and 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 especially from the perspective of the way we live in the world of fiction, and how much of our world these days is made up, you know, from from money to laws to countries, uh, and, and just the it's just a great, um, a great read. And, and it just, and it turns out that the writer is actually a, a very serious meditator. Mm-hmm. Sapiens. Okay. Sapiens. Check it out. How about, I'm dying to ask you this question, Mark, because I think you have great insight into this, but is there a quote or a saying that you've, that's really stuck out to you that you kind of live by? 
Funny you should ask, you know, I, because I, um, I started and ran a greeting card company. I, I describe myself as a professional quote collector. Yeah, I can see that. Um, well, uh, this, this one has been my, my, it's, it's my current favorite quote is, um, by Wendell Berry, who is a fifth generation Kentucky farmer and an author. And uh, he once said, uh, be joyful, though you've considered all the facts. And especially these days, you know, I I, I have to remind myself of this quote when I read the newspaper or listen to the news uh, or, or even if, you know, when, when a relationship or a company, uh, you know, project isn't going well, there's something about, um, the power. So to me, uh, this is, it could almost be like a definition of what mindfulness practice is. Mindfulness practice could be said to over and over again, to really look at the facts, look at, look at things through reality as much as possible without Mm -hmm. coloring them through our own we put it you know it's impossible of course you should recognize that it's impossible Mm. Um, mostly we are storytelling creatures but to recognize the story and the distinctions between what is and what what spin are we putting on things so this aspiration to see the facts as much as possible and regardless of what they are to find a sense of satisfaction or sense of joy Hmm. right within them. So I love that quote. Oh, I'm right there with you. (laughs) (laughs) How about if there's, if there were one final message that you could leave the world, one golden nugget, what would that be? Well, this is a, um, now I'm going to, uh, it's not exactly a quote. It's part of a poem that is my current favorite Ooh. line from a poem. And it's a poem, the poem is called The Word, and it's by a poet named Tony Hoagland. And let's see if I can pull this up. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this by memory. <laughs> uh, let's see, it's, it's, it's right in the middle of this poem. And it's, he says, uh, remember that time and light are kinds of love. And love is no less practical than a coffee grinder or a safe spare tire. Wow. So remember that time and light are kinds of love. So I think um, to me this is to, uh, to drop to, to you know that instead of skimming the surface, which is what we tend to do, to drop in and see that that at the bottom, you know, uh, at the bottom of everything, at the bottom of life and death, birth, life and death is love, and to remember that. Wow, gosh, it's amazing what people can do with uncommon words in a very common topic such as love or. Yeah. Totally. Coffee grinder. <laughs> it brings you to a new space of thinking about it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I like the the right the the analogy right that yeah to go, let love love is no less practical than a coffee grinder or a safe oh spare tire. Oh my gosh. Well, Mark, how do we stay connected to you? How do we support you? 
um, come come visit my uh, my website, uh, which is Mark Lesser M A R C L E S S E R dot net. Okay. And I these days, you know, I'm in one of these transitions again. I I someday I think I will start another company. I like starting companies. Um, I've started three, possibly four, depending on how you count it. Um, <laughs> Love that. And at the moment, I'm doing trainings in different places and uh, workshops and talks and coaching. And I'm um, mm. so come, you know, come connect with me in, around those things. Awesome. Okay. Well, last but not least, we, the name of our business is Rise Up For You. What comes to mind when you hear that phrase, rise up for you? Um, what comes to mind is um, <laughs> it's funny, two things jumped into my head. The first thing that came into Ooh, my head sure both. was um, you know, showing up. Uh, but oh, then wow. uh, but then, you know, I used to be a baker and, and, and there's a lot of rising that happens in baking. And it's kind of magical to bake, bake bread. And, and, um, and what, what's amazing about it is that when you leave it alone, the bread rises. <laughs> there's something about, but you have to, you mix the right ingredients together and then you just let it be and it rises on its own. And I think that's, um, there's some, some great uh, uh, metaphor there for our, our lives, mixing the right ingredients and then letting it, letting it be some. My goodness. The, both of those are golden nuggets, um, I think, for all of us. Especially, you know, the first one you said too, it's just showing up. That's, mm -hmm. that's a pretty big deal right there. Yeah, great aspiration. Wow. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, really, really, really appreciate it. And this is the tip of the iceberg. So I know there's a lot more to go. Uh, you have some great books out there, especially this most recent one. And um, yeah, thank you very much for sharing. Uh, thank you. It's been a real, a real delight to talk to you tonight. Good, good. Okay, my friend. Well, we will depart, but um, we hope to have you back on another podcast. And in the meantime, we'll check out your website. Thank you, Georgia. Okay. Thank have a good care. night. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today on the Rise Up For You podcast series. We're here to serve you and inspire you to become your best self so that you can live a life that you are proud of. If you haven't already, head over to our website, riseupforyou.com, and explore through all that we have to offer. Don't forget to subscribe while you're there for exclusive materials sent to you weekly, and also subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and any other major podcast channel. Join us for our next episode, but until we meet again, rise up for you, be better today than yesterday, and prepare for a greater you tomorrow. Tomorrow.